Welcome to the Radically Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Malin, intuitive, healer, adventurer, active duty marine, and spiritual empowerment mentor. It is my mission to help women rewrite old stories of themselves so they can be radically empowered to own their lives. On this show, I cover everything from living a life of alignment and purpose, healing inner wounds, raising your vibration and frequency, dissolving limiting beliefs, and how to unapologetically be you. Thank you for being here today, and I will see you on the other side. Miss Sarah Angelini, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You know what I nice find really here. you know what I find really cool? What? Is that we have known each other for what 11 years now? Mm, yeah. Maybe longer <laughs> actually. And I think that's so cool because especially it from, you know, 19 to 30 for me, that's such a uh, trying time in your life and there's so many different evolutions of the self. And I think it's just really cool that we have remained really good friends throughout all of those <laughs> trials and tribulations. And we still, <laughs> even it's so weird. Cause even when we talk now, it's just like, yeah, what's up? Like, I just saw you yesterday. Like, I love that about our relationship. It's just, I don't know. It's pretty rare actually. And it's funny too. Cause it is like, that. It's like, I might not talk to you for well, like when you're in boot camp yeah. months and then yeah. I talk to you again or like when you're in Hawaii and I didn't really talk to you that much we start talking again and it's yeah. like you just no like time up. has passed or when you like came to visit me in NOLA like I think it had been almost like a year or something that we had seen yeah. each other or I don't it know if it was been all. almost two yeah and it was just like hey dude what's up <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love that um so if you just want to give a little bit of information as to what you're doing now, uh, kind of the work that you're doing, and then we'll kind of evolve the story from there. Kind of a little bit of who uh, who Sarah is. So I do film and photography. Um, my main passion is storytelling. So I started a project back, at, I don't know, what was that, 2010, um, called Videnda, where my entire premise was just basically showing someone's life and, and trying to do it in a way that is unbiased as possible. So I don't like using a format of where someone's narrating it other than the subject matter. So I really try to capture the essence of a person and um, give them the platform to share who they are. And I think that that's really pretty powerful to, to watch people give their life experience and perspective. So that's really my main passion. Um, I also do work with businesses. So promotional content, um, I do photography and video for businesses, um, give, giving their customers basically like a, a more heartfelt personal view of, you know, what either goes into creating a product or you know, what the, the mission is behind their business. Um, so, you know, that's what I do with businesses. And then I also do um, personal photography for families and, you know, headshots and weddings. I just did a wedding. Um, so I kind of do a lot of different things um, with the medium of film and photography, but really my main passion is storytelling and, you know, the my project Vedenda. Yeah. I think 
the one thing when I look at you when you're doing your work, I think it's so cool to see how multidimensional you are within those mediums and how heart-centered you are as an artist. You know, like you really go in deep with uh, sharing somebody's life story or like captivating moments in time where it just tells, you know, like a, a picture says a thousand words, like just the way that your art portrays th those moments in time, I think is so beautiful. And I, I love, I love your work. Maybe I'm biased, but I, I absolutely <laughs> love your work. Um, Thanks. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> and that's, and that's really why I love photography and film. Uh, I mean, you really do have an opportunity to portray a lot especially in photos, you know, you have just this one moment in time, but you can capture a lot of different aspects of a person in just a photograph. Um, yeah. And, and that's why I love it. It's really fun. And it's, it's really, you know, it can be pretty powerful. So yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. Well, before we get into dive more into your work as do you consider yourself an artist or how do you categorize yourself? <laughs> It's funny because I don't. Yeah. I really, I really don't. Such a Virgo my... thing to say. <laughs> Virgo thing. <laughs> I don't identify myself. <laughs> I don't, I'm my own funny. thing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't it. see myself as an artist necessarily. I mean, I guess it is art, but it, it feels more like, like a, like I'm more of like just a, like a journalist or something. Like I'm just capturing life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there is, that is an art form, but I guess I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. I don't see myself yeah. like an artist. You know, I mean, you don't really need a title or category. You just are what you are. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But before we go into that, I want you to talk a little bit about your life, uh, maybe whatever you feel comfortable with, with your upbringing, um, things, trials and tribulations that you've gone through in your life. Um, because I am obsessed with hearing people's life stories just as much as you're obsessed with capturing people's lives. I love talking to people about how they view life, the things that they've gone through, just their life choices and hearing perspective, because I feel like as humans, that's how we connect with each other. And that's how we create unity and, and just a more of a heart-centered world is, is if we could just be more open-minded just to hearing all different ways of living. And so I would love for you just to share a little bit about your life and things that you've gone through. Yeah. And I told, I totally resonate with that. I mean, that's like the purpose of my work, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see, I guess I had a pretty, uh, interesting childhood. My, my family was very broken from the time that I was born and it wasn't so much like that, but they, they started to fall apart. My parents' marriage, especially, um, after I was born. Um, so my, my childhood was, it was really tough. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of violence, a lot of aggression, a lot of, uh, trauma. And I, I mean, a lot of people have experienced that I'm sure too, as well, but it was really interesting because as a child, like my, one of my best friends, when I was a kid, I must've been like probably seven and I remember being at their house and seeing their mom and dad interacting. And when you're a kid, you don't like, and maybe you have a sense like something is, is wrong, but it's so, it's so much a part of your life and you don't have very much experience to know what else is out there, what life could be like that right. you just kind of feel like this is the way that everyone's life is. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing her parents interacting and her dad, like 
just, you know, just interacting and like they're playing and they're having fun. And, and I, and I had this moment, I must've been like seven where I just realized like my life is so different from this. And, you know, like my parents got divorced when I was seven years old, which was honestly like a godsend because the, the toxicity of their relationship was to the point where the best thing that could have happened for everyone involved was for them to no longer be together. And, you know, and, and in that, I, I guess in those moments, I really started to realize like, well, this is not normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is actually like having your parents, you know, and, and I love my parents. I've had a hard mm-hmm. relationship with both of them in, in their own ways, but um, yeah, just, just seeing that you're like, oh my God, this is not normal. And this is not the way that things should be. And yeah. And then I really realized that. Um, yeah. So it was a very aggressive, like violent situation. Um, and then about 2000 and let's see, 2007, I don't know, it's 15. Um, I was diagnosed with Arnold Chiari malformation type one. Um, after having a lot of health issues, like I had a lot of nerve pain, a lot of really severe headaches, like all of these weird things. I wasn't going to school very much. I was a pretty angry, like, um, moody, stewy kind of, you know, adolescent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I like hated school in general. Like, I don't know. I just, I was super like, you know, emo kind of in those days. I was very much into like, you know, wearing all black and uh my soul is dark (laughs) yeah I had like the colored hair like I had a strip of pink or I would dye blue or whatever um I was like very much too cool to like be involved in sports or activities (laughs) you know I was like a moody angry Mm -hmm. adolescent and I, I wasn't going to school very much um, my mom was busy like doing all sorts of stuff. My dad wasn't around. So I kind of got away with a lot of shit. Um, and then my mom was like, you know, I think you're just, you're lying and you're just, you don't want to go to school. And I was like, I mean, yeah, that's part of it, but there's definitely something health-wise going on. So anyway, I was diagnosed with Arnold Chiari malformation type one after having a, an MRI, um, which it's, it's a neurological brain condition that happens in utero. So the cerebellum descends into the spinal canal. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that that creates a lot of pressure on the brain stem and on the, um, the spinal cord, because there's only, you know, that space is really only meant to have the spinal cord and the brain stem in it. And the cerebellum then descends into that same area in the top two vertebrae. Mm -hmm. So it creates a lot of problems that can, you know, I mean, there's reports of people having sudden death because it puts so much pressure on the cerebellum. Anyway, so I, I ended up getting, um, my first brain surgery when I was 15 years old, what they did was they went in and they removed the back portion of my skull and the inside of my top two vertebrae. And that was really life-changing experience for me. Um, you know, at the time I had moved to an alternative high school, um, and they were, they were awesome. They were really willing to accommodate me and that made all the difference, but that, that surgery and that experience of having brain surgery, especially being so young, it, it fucking blew my entire perspective on life. Yeah. 
wide open. And it changed me in, in ways that I really can't even verbalize, I don't think, yeah. even to this day. But I remember laying on the table before going into surgery and realizing in that moment, I could fucking die. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't like, a, like my, I broke my leg. Like they were fucking going into my brain, like taking out the inside of my top two vertebrae, removing my skull. Like yeah. I, I realized I could fucking die. Yeah. I could die. And it was crazy because at that point, I remember being on the table as they were about to put me under and thinking to myself, the only option I have right now is to surrender. Because if I am fearful, like, and I die, then I die in fear. Mm-hmm. And it was just the craziest thing. So profound. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I surrendered to the experience and I basically like let fate, you know, rule of what the outcome was going to be. And I woke up. Right. And that, that it's really interesting because my family will tell me stories about what happened when I woke up because I was so out of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously I was on an insane amount of drugs and had just had a massive surgery. And, you know, I mean, if you see pictures of me after the surgery, it's like horrible. I look terrible. I was super swollen, but (laughs) they all tell me, that when I woke up, I was just so grateful, like for everything. Like the nurse is like emptying, emptying out my catheter. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry. You have to do that. And I don't remember any of this, but like, <laughs> like just thanking everyone for every little thing wow. and just like telling everyone how much I loved them. And, and I think honestly, like that was just because I was like, holy shit, I made it. Like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so then after that surgery, um, it took me a really, really long time to be able to like care for myself again. It was like three months of having to have my mom bathe me. I couldn't really walk around very much on my own. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And then, you know, I ended up going back to school and it was very challenging for me to relate to people mm-hmm. that were my age because something inside of me had changed. And I realized how delicate life was in a very real way. I had this sort of perspective change, this paradigm shift that like, I felt like I just experienced something and the people around me couldn't even touch that, you know, you're young, you know, and especially at that age, you're not thinking about things like that. And yeah, yeah, it kind of became isolating and it made me feel like I was strange, but it, yeah, it changed me. And I, I think it changed me for the better. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like how many teenagers really go through that somewhat life or death situation, you know, because like I was just speaking with somebody about this in my last podcast about the trying times of being a teenager. And that's just being, quote unquote, a normal teenager. But like you had you had to overcome this major adversity in your life and you are just like, you're kind of walking around like already a delicate flower as a teenager and then being like, (laughs) you guys don't fucking get it. Like you don't get what life is all about. Um, Yeah. So I think, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, that's kind of how you became more connected to, you know, a universal life force or God or whatever you want to call or like just a higher power of just trust and surrender and, and really uh, viewing life from the lens of uh, just gratitude, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And 
and that that stuck with me even now I mean those those same feelings I mean although sometimes they get buried a little like that that was deeply imprinted in me from that time it's crazy yeah. yeah so then you know beyond that I um I graduated from high school barely I barely made it but I did make it out and um got my diploma and then I was like you know what I, and front and even even then so I started I guess I'll circle back around to this but my grandfather when I was like seven years old he had a bunch of film cameras and he saw that I was interested in photography and so he pulled I one summer I stayed with them for a couple of months and he pulled out all of his cameras and taught me how to shoot film and him and my grandmother would dress up for me and do these ridiculous things and we would have photo shoots and they were all about it, it. And I love it. <laughs> so I, I loved photography since I was probably seven years old. Yeah. And now, so then going back to high school, right? So when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was travel the world and be a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> and I didn't have college money. I didn't have like a fund. I couldn't get financial aid because my parents made too much money. And until you're 26, it's like based on their... Um, their tax, you know, information. So I graduated from high school and I ended up getting this grant to go to Costa Rica from, from mm. this program that works with high school students. So I ended up going to Pennsylvania, I mean, sorry, I ended up going to Costa Rica, like right after high school. And I worked on a farm and it was a, a like an almost completely sustainable farm. Um, they like, you know, sequestered all their, um, methane gas from their, uh, pigs and cows mm -hmm. and they made their own fuel with that. They grew all, almost all of their own food. They processed all of their own meat. And, um, and so at like 17 years old, I was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I also became incredibly addicted to traveling mm -hmm. and incredibly addicted to, you know, here, here, we, we, as Americans, and I'm sure every, you know, every nationality of person, mm -hmm. they go through their own life experience and they kind of don't understand like that people live totally different than yep. you do, mm -hmm. you know, even, even across the United States, people yep. live entirely different lives. And exactly. to me, that's fascinating. Yeah. But, um, but seeing how people lived in Costa Rica was really that, the beginning of my just absolute fascination with human beings and the way that we live as human beings, depending on our location and what our financial status is and all those yeah. other things that play into it. Yeah. Um, so I came back from that, from uh, that trip and I ended up going up to Northern Michigan university mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I went to film school and then for a semester and then I hit my head in, um, in, in the dorm room and I ended up having some pretty crazy shit start happening to me relating to having Chiari. Mm -hmm. And I had to drop out of high school. I mean, I had to, had to drop out of college and go home. Yeah. And then I ended up having to have brain surgery again in 2012. And this time I had, I went to Wisconsin Mm -hmm. And I had a metal plate put in my skull where they had taken out my skull before because it, it, they, they didn't put anything in that space to protect my brain. And what had happened was when I hit my head, I had caused some 
damaged myself pretty badly. So the doctor, you know, was like, I don't know why they didn't protect your brain. And also <laughs> your brain is falling out of the back of your skull because there's nothing crazy. there. Yeah. So I had to, that kind of like screwed my life up again because I had this idea of the way that I wanted things to be. I wanted to get this film degree. I loved Northern. It was so much fun. And, and then that like kind of fell apart. And then, so I went and had brain surgery and I was trying to do online classes through Northern. Um, I got home from Wisconsin about a week after my surgery and within like a week and a half, I was deathly ill. I'd gone to the ER twice. They're like, oh, you're fine. You know, you're, there's nothing wrong with your incision. Um, we don't, we, we tested you for infection. We don't see any infection. And I was like, man, no, like I am sick. All of my lymph nodes in my, in my throat and in my shoulders and in my armpits were like the size of golf balls. Mm -hmm. My incision was just like pouring out fluid. And I'm like, there's something seriously wrong with me. So finally we got in touch with the neurosurgeon who did my surgery. And he told my dad, he was like, no, she needs to be here right now. Like she needs to be here immediately. So we took a flight out and got back to Wisconsin. And of course it was a bad, a very, very bad infection that had started in my plate, which was in my brain. So I had to have the surgery redone. They had to take the plate out. Um, I had three different types of infection going. I had to have an infectious disease specialist concoct me this crazy, crazy fucking concoction of, of antibiotics. Um, with an antibacterial wash. So I I had to have that surgery redone within a week, which was horrible. And I got out of that surgery and I couldn't move my neck. All my muscles were completely frozen. The fascia was completely frozen. I couldn't turn my head at all. It was like a rock. So I had to have like physical therapy done just because there had been so much trauma within such a short amount of time to that area. So yeah, I I ended up having to have that surgery done. And I came home and it took me a really long time to recover from that just because it was too, so closely together. Um, and, and yeah, that, that totally threw my, my life plan, my quote unquote vision and my trajectory totally changed. Um, and through that, I, you know, I had been, I'd been trying to do these online classes through Northern and a bunch of shit happened with them. And I ended up getting into debt because they wouldn't allow me to drop out of those classes, even, even despite the fact that I had to have emergency surgery. And obviously I was out for two months and wasn't going to be able to do the classes. So I, I just didn't happen. I, I never went back. I ended mm. up being in debt and I just didn't feel like it was worth it to go back and yeah. yeah. So that kind of changed, changed what happened next in my life, I guess, in a lot of ways. Do you feel like at this point, after going through essentially three different brain surgeries, do you feel like that you attach your identity of who Sarah was to your situational circumstances? Were you just like, what were you feeling after that third surgery? Were you just like, fuck my life is over or did you feel like there was still hope or like what were you feeling then so 
I think I was like frustrated that all of that had happened. And there were some other details too, where I'd found out that the first surgeon I had had broken my vertebrae. No one ever told me, you know, there's just a lot of different things that I just felt really frustrated about, but I, I, I'm not really sure if it's just part of my tenacity and like, I kind of have this fiery side to right. me where I'm like, yeah, I'll never be a victim, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, like I see a lot of people who have, um, Arnold Chiari, I'm in a lot of support groups for that on like Facebook and stuff. I think a lot of people, they do too closely identify with the thing that is ailing them. And I, and I understand that that's, it's hard to create separation because mm-hmm. at some point when something is so monumentally big in your life, it just becomes you, right? Yeah. Like I never have viewed myself as like someone with like, like as Arnold Chiari, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. or as a brain surgery, like patient or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call me, mm-hmm. you know, I, I never, I've never seen myself in that way. And there have been moments where I felt bad for myself for sure. Sure. But I, I think what I realized is that if I too closely identified with these things that happened in, in my life, especially with my health, um, I would break, I would just fall apart. And I would mm-hmm. say, you know, life is too hard. Uh, you know, I have pain. These things are hard. And I would just kind of give up. I wouldn't have the strength to, to persevere through those things. So I think I've, I've always had this kind of natural propensity to just separate myself a little bit mm-hmm. from those things. Like, like I said, I have moments of feeling bad for myself once in a while, especially back then I did because things mm-hmm. were very challenging. Of course. I don't think about it really anymore. And when I, t- it's funny cause I, I don't tell people very often what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't usually say like, oh yeah, I've had three brain surgeries. Yeah. But anytime that I do, people are like, what? What? <laughs> are you okay? Oh no. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And they like start to feel bad for me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Like, okay. So give me I your- wish I wouldn't have even told you that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a thing in life. Like shit happens to everybody and it comes yeah. in, in all shapes and sizes, and it can come through all sorts of different means. And we all fucking suffer as humans. Like yep. it's life, you know, yes. and it, it comes in as different forms. And I think just knowing that, And knowing that like everyone's having a hard time sometimes it's like, it just makes it feel okay. You know, you don't have to put so much energy into feeling sorry for yourself. And I think if I did that, I think I would have never done anything with my life. I I wouldn't have done the things that I've done. You know, you would have just remained kind of stagnant in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because, well, particularly with chronic illnesses, chronic diseases, or something major like that, you know, uh, I find that a lot of people, like you said, just attach themselves to that thing. Like, this is what I am. And it's kind of, it's somewhat of a disempowering mindset of uh, just affixing yourself to this is what I am instead of realizing like, no, this is just something that's happening in my life. And at the end of the day, this is the thing that's going to propel me to level up and to be a higher version of myself and to gain more strength and to be more focused on what I want to do, you know? And I just, I really wish that more people in that space that are dealing with something, whether it's with health issues or just something in their life had that mindset, you know, it's, 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it's, it's a hundred percent true. It, it really is. And, and I get it. It's like I said, I have so much empathy and compassion for people yeah. who are chronically ill. Of course. And I'll get into the other thing that happened to me later on, but it's, it's, it's so easy to feel sorry for yourself. And it is. And I hate to say that because it sounds so harsh, but I'm telling you a lot, of, a lot of the time when things happen like that, people fall into really feeling sorry for themselves. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard. It's hard to get away from that. And it's hard to see outside of that. But like, truthfully, the things that have happened to me in my life, if I wouldn't have had those things happen to me, I would not be who I am today. I think yeah. there's so much potency and so many deep, profound lessons and understandings that we can gain from things that you wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't be as strong. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be so understanding of other people's struggles. You wouldn't have empathy the way that you do, you know, there's just all these different aspects to it. And I think a lot of people don't, they don't see that. They just feel the sorrow that they feel about their situation. And I get it. And it's hard but it just doesn't serve you in the long run. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a crutch than, than a ladder, you know? Right. Yeah. I love that analogy. What would you, what advice would you give somebody that maybe is going through uh, either a chronic illness or something related to their health? That's, you know, pretty detrimental or severe. What are some tangible tools that you would give somebody or offer somebody? Um, I would say the first thing is meditation. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably the most important thing. And that, and the reason is because that is what will give you the space between you and the thing. Mm -hmm. And you're going to realize if you meditate enough, you're going to realize that you are not the thing. You are not whatever that thing is. It may be a part of you. It may be afflicting you in, in the moment. It may be something you're dealing with for your entire life, but it is still not you. Mm-hmm. And I think that creating space between like, for instance, you and your mind, maybe a mm-hmm. little bit. So you're yeah. not run by your, you know, endless thoughts and emotions. Creating, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Creating space between you and the things that are happening. That's invaluable. I mean, that is going to give you the space to be able to move. So mm-hmm. it's not just like this weight it's there, but it's not so heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a big thing that got me through. Yeah. Meditation, you know, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find a lot of support with the different support groups? No, no, (laughs) no. I actually found it to be draining because what I see and, and in the support groups, what I see is a, you know, for, well, for, for people with Kiari, it's, and I don't like, I, if anyone has Kiari and just, you know, understand that I'm not being mean. I love you guys. We're all in it together, but you know, just things like my eye is twitching compulsively. Mm -hmm. Is this common? Does everyone else it's picking up at every little thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. And is this a part of it? It becomes this paranoia. And it's like, you know, dude, like all sorts of weird shit happens to me. I feel like electrical shocks in my body or I'll get like a severe nerve pain in my rib, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's the thing. You create that space and you're like, yeah, okay. This is the thing that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. But people become obsessed. And, and that's what I noticed in, in the support groups. It, I, I can't even read the posts anymore most of the time because it just becomes where it, it just feels like everyone just 
feels really sorry for themselves. And I don't want to feel that way. And if right. I read that, it starts to pull me into that. I'm like, right. no, 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 no. Well, it's no. almost like you're rewiring that negative brain pathway instead of yeah. putting yourself in that energetic frequency of like, uh, growth or positivity. It's like, you're rewiring that negativity and, and everything that you do. And therefore, what do you become? I always say this, everything is energy and you attract what you are, what you're vibrating at. So if you're just constantly yeah. feeding yourself with negativity and hate and shame and guilt, how do you feel that? How do you think you're going to feel at the end of the day? You're going to keep rewiring that negative brain pattern, you know? You absolutely will. And that's, that's what happens in a lot of the sport groups. And it's, it's unfortunate. And a lot of it is like licking of the wounds. Like let's collectively lick our wounds. And I get, there's a time and a place to do that and that's okay. And it's just, it has to come to a point where it's like, okay, it's like, it's like the whole, the whole fucking premise of this podcast. You just have to be empowered and whatever mm-hmm. that is yeah. and wound licking is okay when you need to do that. But yeah. at the same time, you have to have a moment where it's like, okay, I've licked my wounds. I felt sorry for myself. It's time for me to stand up now. Yeah. Yeah. Or else your entire life falls into that cycle. And it's very unfortunate, but it does happen. Do you find that with these, are these support groups self-led or are they facilitated by an expert or somebody in that field to actually give tangible? So it's all self-led, just everybody is just doing a pity party. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Pretty much. And and sometimes, you know, it's, it's useful stuff. Like people asking for neurosurgeons or like, what did you think of this? And that's great. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's actually really great because there's a lot of bad fucking neurosurgeons out there. And I've had experience with two in particular that, they the all that should be avoided at all costs. So it's good to have a forum for that kind of, you know, discourse to figure out who's good and who's bad. Um, and, and, you know, like people who have been diagnosed, a lot of people have children who are diagnosed and they're afraid and they're like, can anyone, t-? and th- that's a great space for that. Right. Like mm-hmm. my child, my six-year-old child was just diagnosed with this. Like, does anyone else have experience with their child? And that's great. That gives people a connection. And, and that feels to me more like a support group versus like, Sure. Well, I mean, there's definitely power in community. You can't, you can't discredit that. I mean, I think that is absolutely essential for anybody that's going through anything that you have the ability to lean on somebody or multiple people just for that support. But when it kind of goes into just uh, enhancing or highlighting all of the negative things, it's like, how can we improve this? You know, and I think it would be really cool if there was somebody who was facilitating these that could kind of lead the direction of these conversations. So when Sally is like, ah, I just hate everything. Like nothing good's going to happen. Somebody can come in and be like, Hey, Sally, you know, like maybe you could think about it from this perspective. You know, it's just, I wish I had the energy for that and I don't, but I, I wish I did. (laughs) But but I mean, there's so many different uh, occupations, you know, therapists or whatever that, that could be facilitating or leading these groups into more they, they of empowerment. Be. Yeah. That would be very beneficial. And, and so I also have endometriosis, right? So I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2013. Um, I have, I have, I had stage four endometriosis and, um, yeah. I mean, same thing with the endometriosis support groups. I, it's, it's kind of the same situation, although I have a different opinion on endometriosis because Arnold Chiari is something that you're born with, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not something that develops in your life. That that's, that's something that you 
uh, we're, that's just the way you're formed in utero. And that's just the way it is, right? But endometriosis is different because endometriosis is autoimmune. And a lot of people don't realize that. And a lot of these doctors don't want to even admit to that because they don't believe that. But it, it absolutely is. When the body is not responding in the way that it should mm-hmm. to a normal process, well, then it's, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an autoimmune condition. Um, and I see a lot of that too in the, in the endometriosis community as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard when people don't want to take control. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you how much of the rest of your health, your bodily processes and functions, do you think stemmed from your brain surgeries or Chiari itself? I mean, do you feel like, like it disrupted like the homeostasis of your entire bodily processes? Uh, so what happened, what, what really, what really fucked me up was insane antibiotics, right? Mm-hmm. So that third brain surgery that I had, I had all those infections going on. I was on antibiotics. I think I was on 8,000 milligrams of this. Like I said, an infectious disease specialist concocted me oh my a, gosh. yeah for three fucking months. And you know oh what? They didn't God. even recommend a probiotic. Okay. Which your I gut was that. probably destroyed. <laughs> it's still, it still yeah. is. Yeah. I'm literally still repairing my gut now. It's that bad. I mean, and it was a lot, it was a hell of a lot worse. And I think that aspect of it contributed to endometriosis. But if you want to get into endometriosis, I have many other things to say about that as well. But the Arnold Chiari, Mm, no, in and of itself, no, it didn't really contribute to any of my other health issues, but, um, the, the treatment for Mm. the infection for the surgery is what, is what destroyed my gut. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if you just want to insert that you can think of at the top of your head, just any resources for either, uh, Chiari or, uh, endometriosis for anybody who is like looking for information. If you can think of anything at the top of your head, if you can't right now, that's fine. I'll just add it in the show notes later on and you can send it over to me. Um, but I always like to just kind of include those resources for people that are kind of maybe going through this or know somebody that's going through something like this, but yeah. So for, for Chiari, I don't. Yeah. Um, that's a hard one. I don't trust surgeons and I don't trust the doctors that deal with Chiari anymore. So I don't have much guidance to give for that other than to just be wary of having surgery, just because someone says you should have surgery. You should Mm -hmm. get multiple opinions. Yeah. Um, for endometriosis, that's a whole nother. Yeah. I can get into that if you'd like. I mean, I, I can keep it short. Yeah, but no, let's go for it. Cause that's a, that's a pretty common thing, especially now it's, it's more, I mean, I dealt with endometriosis and PCOS. I feel like I still do. Uh, yeah. I, I've really, uh, shifted how my symptoms are with my diet and lifestyle. Um, but it is, it's, it's happening. It's happening at an increasingly alarming rate with many women oh, yeah. all over the world. So I think it is something that's important to talk about. So yeah, go for it. Okay. So I was diagnosed with, uh, with endometriosis uh, in 2013 and my ovaries were the size of grapefruits, both of my ovaries. Um, so I, 
I had to have surgery and actually I ended up not, not totally rupturing an ovary, but I tore one of my ovaries lifting something. Um, so I had to have robotic surgery and you know, I had having gone through the medical system in the past, I kind of know better than to just take what a doctor says at face value. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't trust your doctors, but what I'm saying is that they are not gods and they call it a medical practice for a reason, mm-hmm. right? You need to do your own research and you need to advocate for yourself above all else. Um, so I'd had the surgery done, which actually, I mean, it was necessary. My body never could have cleaned that up. It was insane. Um, and so I had done a lot of research about the treatments for endometriosis because I was curious you know, what, what are my options? And what I found was that there are no options. When you go to see a gynecologist, OBGYN, who is going to treat your endometriosis, they're going to offer you three things. They're going to offer you birth control mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, or they're going to offer you Lupron or they're going to give you surgery. Now, birth control is not an effective treatment for endometriosis. Okay. It it is not. Surgery is helpful in a situation where you have such an extreme case that your body cannot clean it up on its own. It gives your body a fresh start, right? Mm -hmm. That that's useful. Lupron is a travesty to women. It is an absolute fucking travesty. How it is a chemotherapy drug that was created for prostate cancer. It sets women into a pre-menopausal state. So here being, I was 22 at the time when I got diagnosed with endometriosis, my doctor was pushing me into Lupron after having the surgery, but I'd done my research and I saw that thousands of women have died after the first injection and hundreds of thousands more have had lifelong catastrophic side effects from Mm -hmm. having Lupron. And there's, uh, there's many reasons why that is. First of all, it can give you osteoporosis because it pulls all the calcium out of your body or not all of it, but a lot, right. Enough to create that sort of an issue where you have fragile bones in your twenties. And then also being in menopause before your, your body is meant to be in menopause and then going out of menopause is entirely unnatural. And there's Mm -hmm. tons of fucking research that shows that doing that to a woman is can cause early death. Okay. So women who die at 40, 50, after having Lupron, you can only have three injections safely in your lifetime. Now, what that does for endometriosis is it puts you into menopause, right? Temporarily. Mm -hmm. Then the minute that that Lupron is worn off and you go back into menstruating, not only is it going to come back the same ferocity that it has been before, it could potentially be worse. Yeah. Not only that, it's completely throwing off your entire hormonal system and homeostasis. Not that you're in homeostasis before because you have estrogen mm-hmm. dominance, Yeah. but still it creates an entirely horrific situation. So I knew that going into that. Um, and not only and that, physically, but also psychologically. I mean, think oh, of yeah, what you have to themselves. endure. Yeah. Because you're essentially robbing yourself of those childbearing age and you're going through, it's not natural. Like you said, it's not natural. And it's like what happened at 30, you know, you've gone through all this and you're like, now what? Like, 
you know, it, well, and the other thing is too, I mean, hormone hormones are very important for your emotional health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have hormones that are completely off base, that's why women have such a hard time on birth control. And I was one of those women. Yeah. I tried birth control for oh, my endometriosis. Yeah. I was the worst person I've ever met in my entire life. Yep. Same. You couldn't look at me. I would, I would chew Want to your kill you. fucking head off. <laughs> yeah. I also noticed I was, I went into a very dark place. Uh, I was very depressed, thoughts of suicide. I mean, it was not normal. I'm a very like light and like springy type of person. Like let's yeah, go. Are. And I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, this that, is wrong. And it wasn't just one. I mean, I probably tried five or six types of birth control. Yeah. Me too. So, I mean, it, it's important to it's, educate yourself basically. It, it is. And, and for endometriosis, it's not effective. So anyway, the point of that is that I, I knew that what they, this doctor had in their toolbox was not going to help me. It was not going to actually cure my endometriosis. Right. And he told me there is no cure for endometriosis. This is going to be your life. And he actually told me you'll never have children and you will need a full hysterectomy within a year if you do not take this Lubron. And I said to him, okay, well, that's your opinion, man, but I'm going to try it on my own. Like, what do I have to lose at this point? What do I have to lose? So what did I do? I, I did a shit ton of research. Okay. I went and saw a holistic doctor who between diet, right? So I completely changed my diet, no dairy, no gluten. And, and there's so many contributing factors to endometriosis, but I mean, there's a lot of glyphosates going on and mm-hmm. the usage is insane. So it's in tons of food, yeah. plastic leeches. You've got all these different estrogens that are in our plastics that are contributing. You've got tampons, which are bleach, mm-hmm. which are also giving off estrogens. You got to be careful with all of that shit. Um, or just exposure just to like chemicals within our environment, what we put on our skin, what we're putting on our hair. I mean, just pollution in the environment. Like it's, I mean, it's live in a chemical world (laughs) metaphorically and literally but yeah (laughs) we totally do but when that doctor told me that I took that as a challenge and I took it very seriously and I like I wasn't playing around you know I was not joking I I was serious and I changed my diet and I spent a lot of money with a holistic doctor I probably spent you know eight thousand dollars total but in one year my ovaries did not grow back in size at all. Mm-hmm. Now I know other women who've had similar cases of endometriosis as I do, which mine is a little strange because mine goes inside of my ovaries, making mm-hmm. the ovary itself large. Most women have a different, uh, you know, a different kind of endometriosis and mine's a little different, but I know people who have had the similar kind that I have and who took a different approach with like the surgeries or with Lupron or whatever and they are still suffering, if not have already had a hysterectomy. And I mean, everyone's body is different. So I'm not saying like, oh, well, yeah, of course, you know, but I'm telling you alternative health, alternative health practitioners are where it's at. If you're suffering with endometriosis and diet, diet is almost everything. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get anywhere if you do not change your diet. Yeah. It's autoimmune. You have to heal your gut. So it all starts in the gut. Mm-hmm. Truly. Literally. <laughs> and there's another aspect to endometriosis, which is holding trauma in mm-hmm. your womb. Love that you brought that up. Love yeah. that you brought that up. 
Because is that being talked about? No. Not at all. Not at all. And that's a big thing. And as women, we, we have totally disconnected from our vaginas. I mean, it's true. Mm -hmm. Not every woman, but a lot of women. And so there's also that, like I was just saying, the storing of energy there. All these things contribute and they may sound like ridiculous to most people, but it's, it's true. (laughs) Like you might, you might think it's ridiculous, but it's probably true. Right. Yeah. It's, it's energy. You can't deny, like, I, I literally was just talking to somebody like, you know, she was saying like, you know, you go to work and somebody's being negative or mean, or they're like projecting and you come in all bubbly and happy. And then you're feeling that energy and you're taking it on. It's the same thing of everything that we've gone through with our life experiences. So if there was any sort of trauma, minor or major that you've endured, especially, you know, working within the sacral region, um, I mean, that stores itself like it, it is no secret that energetic blockages, you know, invisible blockages can manifest itself into physical symptoms. Right. And the, th- the entire idea behind dis-ease equaling disease mm-hmm. is, is, I mean, it's incredibly accurate, you know, and you're right. Like, I, I, f- I think that a lot of women have had trauma and it may be sexual and it may be feeling inferior and it may be a shameful feeling about their sexuality. It could be all different sorts of things. And nine times out of 10, one of the major places that that shit is going to be stored in is in your vagina or in your womb, right? Like there's, it's just the natural place, like where we create from, where we are empowered from, like Mm -hmm. that, that's where the blockages occur. And I've done a lot of work with that, especially recently. Um, I, I actually was turned on to this woman named Kim Anami and she does, you know, these jade egg, um, basically like self-empowerment moving energy with jade eggs. Mm -hmm. It's powerful stuff. It is. And I think that was kind of the key that I was missing, um, in dealing with my own, you know, reproductive issues was, was that aspect, something physical, you know, Mm -hmm. versus just energetic that something physical to break up energy right absolutely oh yeah you need you need sometimes you need that physical aspect to to disrupt that that uh frequency you know yeah um so i love that you share that that is probably one of the most crucial and impactful things to discuss especially with endometriosis or just anything with women's health uh, I yeah. think that is powerful. And I love that you brought that up because yeah, uh, we sh- we definitely need to normalize that. We need to talk about that more. And uh, there's so much shame and, and guilt within our connection with that uh, energy source, you know, and it's like, For sure. and so the question to ask yourself is why do I feel shameful about my, uh, this is my creator aspect of my my femininity why is there shame there because if you're resisting exploring that realm and that world with yourself then there's probably something to discover within that absolutely yeah Yeah. it's true yeah and so that was huge for me so I think coming back to that whole idea of empowerment like someone told me that I was fucked someone told me that I would never have a child and 
I took that as a challenge. And I think more women should stand up for themselves and take it as a challenge and look outside of the box because I'm telling you, I have, I have not had my endometriosis come back at all, really in my ovaries. I have, I have some painful periods once in a while. I use some steaming. I do some vaginal steaming. I do other things for that. I use a lot of herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel com- comfortable and confident enough to say that if I would have gone the Western route for healing myself, which would, would not have healed me at all, I would not be where I am today. I would be suffering. I might've had a hysterectomy. Like it could have gone so badly. Mm-hmm. And so I think that women with endometriosis really should, should look into those different way, modalities of mm-hmm. healing because it isn't just, you don't have to go down the Western route, you know, yeah. like I was saying before, and I'll stress it again. Diet is everything. Yeah. Diet is really important and you can change a lot of your health issues with diet alone. Yeah. So I think if you have endometriosis, you should really look in. There's an endometriosis diet that you can look up that excludes red meat and some other things that are not, you know, like necessarily gone a whole 30 or something, Mm -hmm. but, um, but there's, there's so much information out there and it's so helpful. Yeah. So if you have endometriosis, look into those things, um, life-changing, literally life-changing. I, I, I can't even express how horrible things were for me before I did the things that I did with herbs and with diet yeah, and with jade eggs Mm -hmm. and steaming, vaginal steaming. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of information and resources out there and it's not hopeless. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that's important for women to know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for sharing and kind of being real and raw and vulnerable, just pretty much with just your whole health history in general, because I know that uh, people who are listening are going to take something away from that and be a little bit more power to take, uh, take control of their health and, and their life. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be able to share that. Yeah. So I kind of want to switch gears a little bit. And so kind of after going through all of X, Y, and Z through the life of (laughs) Sarah Angelini, when did you, I want to go to more of your work. So when did you really start picking up your camera, start experimenting, start exploring? Did you find that it was uh, an energetic release for you to kind of throw yourself into something, maybe perhaps for healing or yeah. When did you actually really start kind of taking that work more seriously? Um, well, I started, I mean, okay. So in 2013, I went to India on a fucking whim it was probably one of the most profound experiences of my life and probably the most profound trip of my life. Um, and so I started filming a lot there. And at the time, like I said, I dropped out of film school. I I mean, I know photography, but I didn't know video. Mm -hmm. And I basically just was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to go back to school for it. I can't afford that. I'm just going to teach myself. So I, I had bought like a $300 camera on eBay used and I had taken it to India with me and I started filming there. And then um, from then on out, you know, I, I made a, a short documentary about my brother and that was like really my first time ever making anything. And from then on, I just kept going. And, and so from like 2013, I've been making films. I've been working, I've worked on some documentaries that have been in some film festivals in Detroit. Um, 
yeah. And you know, for me, it's, it's like the feeling I get when I'm doing that is like, I'm a vessel for God. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but not at all. It's, it's complete and utter flow. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's things, everyone has like this thing that they do. And when they're doing it, they, they lose track of time. They lose track of their body. They're so connected to whatever it is, whether it's like drawing or playing music or dancing or whatever it is, you know, you get that flow mm-hmm. and it's like, you lose your, your body. And for me, I get, I get that feeling when I'm behind my camera. Like I just fall into this space of, of infinity is what it feels like, you know? Yeah. And for me, it's really powerful experience. And I I mean, I love it. Um, So I've been doing, you know, I've been doing video since 2013. Um, And I just upgraded all my equipment last year. So I'm really getting into more professional style videos now. Mm-hmm. With, with my new equipment but I've got a drone I'm doing drone video and stuff so yeah um since 2013 pretty much I've been going for it so where have you gone in the world because I you've done a lot of you've done quite a bit of traveling in your life um internationally so where where have been all the places you've been um, so internationally, uh, I, I've been to Costa Rica twice. Um, like I was saying, the first time was right when I graduated from high school and I was working on that farm. Um, I went to India for two months. Um, I went back to Costa Rica. So, but then I went to Scotland and Sweden and yeah, that's it. I mean, internationally, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, but I lived like, I lived in the U S Virgin islands, um, for like six months, seven months. Uh, I lived on a sailboat out there and I was, we were working with a sailmaker. Um, it was this old German guy who's probably one of the coolest people I've ever met. Um, and yeah. And I lived on a sailboat. I didn't have running water or electricity or anything. I didn't have a toilet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I was working also on a cruise ship excursion boat. So we would go pick people up from the cruise ships. And there was times where I was not on land for days at a time. Like I went from the sailboat that we lived on to the the boat that I worked on back to the sailboat that we lived on. And it was, I mean, that was amazing. I loved that. Um, And then, you know, I've, I've done like, like us trips too. So I rode my bike, uh, I took a bicycle trip. I rode my bicycle 1200 miles, um, like stealth camping and, you know, just like pulling off wherever it seemed pretty safe to camp. Um, and then I actually did a 11 day Vipassana on that trip as well, which is a silent meditation retreat. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I've just done little trips around like that and stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's, I guess that's about it. And maybe I'm missing something, but. I love how adventurous you are. And I feel like that's why a lot of times we uh, connect at a soul level, because in a lot of ways, you've really inspired me to just kind of get out of my shell and explore and get uncomfortable and just try new things. Cause that's really who I am as well at my core level. And um, 
I just, I think that it's so cool that you can just feel it when you're with you. Like there's like this like sense of adventure, you know, and um, I just want to like, I just want to anchor that in because it's so true. And I think having people like that in your life is really important because essentially that's kind of what expands you as, as a human, as a soul, you know? Yeah. And I honestly, I mean, I think that there's definitely part of me that's like house caddy. Like I get into this kind of mode where I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm in like this place now and I'm feeling comfortable and I'm just going to snuggle in and Mm -hmm. stay here. (laughs) But it always gets to a point where eventually Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, I'm out. Like I got to go. And I think that it comes back around to the point that there's just so much to see and there's so many people to meet and there's so many experiences to have. And at the end of the day, like you only got one fucking life and then it's, I mean, as far as we know, I mean, we might get it reincarnated, but as far as we know, you know, this is the one life we've got and it's precious as fuck. It's so precious. Mm -hmm. And, and it's going to be over in a blink of an eye. And I think one of my biggest fears in life is to be on my deathbed and think about how I let fear hold me back from, from doing the things that I really had wanted to do my whole life, but I was afraid of doing. And, and that's a huge, huge push of motivation for me to anytime I get a little, a little bit too comfortable, a little too in my zone. I'm like, all right, dude, this is not, this is not the way that you want to live really. Yeah. let's do something different. I feel that on such a deep cellular level, like you have no idea. I think one of my biggest fears in life is stagnation. Like, yeah. and I'm feeling, and that's kind of a tumultuous time that I'm going through now is like being in the military and being fucking stuck here in New Jersey. And I'm just like, my soul's like, I need to travel and explore and adventure, you know, but I know there, there's something bigger for me, a bigger lesson to um, be here. But I think that it's just so cool that you've just been so open-minded just to explore what the human life experience is. And I'm curious, what has been the most profound experience? And maybe this didn't happen like in a, in a moment in time, but in your worldly travels, was there a moment where you just felt something so deep or just so moving or that really changed the trajectory of your mindset or was there anything like that in your in your travels um yeah I mean there's been so many moments like that I mean I would say the most visceral experiences Mm -hmm. would be in India and the reason is because India is nothing like anything I've ever experienced in my life and so many people will tell you that like India will either you're either going to love it or you're going to fucking hate it. And if you're going to fucking hate it, it's because it's dirty as shit. And it is, at least, you know, a lot of the, mm-hmm. the rural areas are dirty. Um, it's loud. If people are honking, all it's like people love to honk. And I never really figured out why the hell are they always honking? But they're always honking. Um, and it's just fucking crazy. It's like the Wild West. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and it'll chew you up and spit you out. And I think a lot of that comes down to like the way that you view things. So if you walk into situations and you think to yourself, well, this is the way that life is for me. And this is my experience. So going to a new place, you're like, oh my God, it shouldn't be like this because mm-hmm. this is not, this is not comfortable. This is not normal. This is not what I'm used to. You're going to hate it. Yeah. Um, but India was one of those places where it's like, you just got to see so much that you never would have seen otherwise. You know, you just see, see people living in these ways. And, and I mean, poverty 
when they say India is one of the most poverty ridden places in the world, like it's fucking true. I mean, I saw people living in conditions that I never could have even imagined in my life. But what's really profound about that is that those people were also happy in a way that I had never seen in my life. And that fucked up my mind because you, you start thinking about that. You see these commercials like, oh, these poor people. And like, yeah, I mean, obviously living in poverty ridden situations like that is shitty. Like mm-hmm. not having running water is yeah. not a good thing. No food. And no, yeah. Yeah. So obviously in that way, it's like, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But they had this light in their eyes that I have never seen in my life anywhere else that I've ever been. Um. And I think it's because because they're in poverty in that way, they have this connection to life that we have lost. And I, and I think that, that, you know, we live so much of our lives behind screens, driving in cars, going to place, going to our jobs, then going, driving to the grocery store and then driving home, you know, just we, going through we, the motions. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure that there's an aspect there but they have this community where they've like come together because they need each other and they really do and they're living life not here in front of a screen but here like in life Mm -hmm. and I think that that makes a big difference and that was very very moving to me and it's something that I think about pretty often um like I can just sense that feeling when I think about it again that I got from the people that I met that lived in situations that most people would find abhorrent. Um, But the happiness was, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just stuck to me, you know? That's such a common narrative of when you hear interviews or just talk to people who have had a lot of international travels, particularly in quote unquote third world countries, like it's the same narrative. It's the same language of, yes, they had nothing, but they found everything and nothing. And I'm just like, if you really sit with that, that is profound. Well, and they say in America, right, like the the rate of depression is insane because we're so isolated and we're so into this modern life we also have i mean we in in the context of the world our lives are incredibly easy incredibly easy survival is is maybe like going to work survival isn't like going to find fucking water every day you know Mm -hmm. it's a different i mean not i'm not not that i'm downplaying no no yeah survival here but it's different and and I think that we are depressed because we are separated and because we have very modern lives where we become so far detached from nature and maybe from God, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people have lost their, their sense of connection to God. Mm-hmm. That it makes sense that, that when you go to a place like with that, where they have fucking nothing, they don't have that. They don't have the distractions. They don't have like the, they're just, they're living every day is, is an, is a conscious life, right? Like they're, they're totally fully interacting in their mm-hmm. own life. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so, to talk about the current climate of everything from this past year with lockdowns and people not being able to go to work and being stuck at home. I think that that has, that has been why there's been such uh, deep awakening with many people, whether or not it's talked about or not, you, you talk to people and they have a whole new 
found viewpoint on their life because they're not just going through the monotony of the day-to-day of bullshit. You know, they actually had to stop and pause and reflect on their life and be like, holy shit, is this actually how I want to live my life? Or is there something more? Is there something deeper? And people are starting to ask questions about who they are and what their purpose is and what do they want to experience? And, you know, with a lot of fear, with the virus of like death, people are just asking themselves different questions. And so that's really how I like to view this past year instead of a negative viewpoint, which we won't go down that rabbit hole of everything. But um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that it's really cool to highlight the the major changes and shifts that are happening as a collective all around the world, because people are starting to really wake up and ask questions and reconnect with themselves. And I feel that as time progresses and more and more people really take the time to connect back with themselves, the more systemic change, the more uh, increasingly unified, the more we can become unified as a collective. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's, yeah. I agree. I think we've been so busy, like going through the, you know, the standard lifestyle of going to work from nine to five, you know, every day and cleaning the house on the weekends and stuff that we, we have kind of had, we haven't had the time or the space to sort of like reflect. And I think you're right. I think everyone kind of being like, you have to stay home now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given a lot of people the space to, to go there. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people spend a lot of time running from themselves, to be honest with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I know, I mean, we all do it to some degree. I know I have. Other. Yeah. Oh, raising, raising yeah. my hand. <laughs> Loud <laughs> and proud. Like, I'm raising yeah. <laughs> both of my hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe the lockdown forced people to stop running from themselves. I, I mean, to take a good hard look. I always think about that. Like, you know, what would you be doing if you, if money wasn't an option or money wasn't, it wasn't a problem, right? Like if it didn't matter about money, what would you do? And I think when you start asking yourself those kinds of questions, mm-hmm. you start thinking about like, what, what do I actually want in my core? Who am I really? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You start asking those questions and lots of big changes might come Uh, lots of new awareness and connection to yourself and yeah I think it's been it's been a very enlightening time for a lot of people I think I agree I agree yeah so I want to hear a little bit about any sort of like cool projects maybe not any secret project that that you're working on but like anything (laughs) cool (laughs) um or anything that you've worked on that you've really enjoyed doing or anything any new current projects that you're working on that you're really excited about so I've got a couple of different projects in the work yes one of them is kind of secret top secret okay all right top secret um yeah I I you know it's (sighs) I kind of fell into this sort of feeling like, um, and I, and I, I think that we all fall into this sometimes, but I started feeling like, Oh, maybe I'm not good enough to, to do this. And maybe I shouldn't like, who, who do I think I am to make these mm. videos do something with my life. Right. And I think a lot of people fall into that and I'm not, <laughs> uh, self-loving I'm not, beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too proud to admit it. No, um, I definitely had a dry stint. Um, and 
I've had to kind of dig myself out of that hole. So I, I, you know, just this past couple of months, I'm like, fuck this. I'm, I'm going for it. Like I know this is what I want to do. I don't know. I don't know how I can not and be mm-hmm. happy yeah. <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm restarting my, my old dead project, which is called Vedenda, which is, is, is a, is a project of just short documentary pieces of people you yeah. know um the videnda i guess really means it's an old latin word it means um like to see someone's life essentially so mm-hmm. the idea is to just show the different ways that people live and do different opinions and life experience and i think it's fascinating and i think it's really you know a great way to get outside of your the box of your conditioned way that you think things should be Mm -hmm. um so that's something that I'm really I'm really pushing um so I've got a couple people that I'm gonna make some videos of I've got a couple others that are in some other states that I'm gonna meander my way there at some point and capture their stories but um yeah I'm really excited I, I mean I'm starting up my YouTube channel again um and I've got some videos on there of like travel stuff or whatever. So you can look at those if you want. It's Vedenda on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so I'm really moving in that direction now where I'm going to start doing things and not being afraid again. Heck yeah. <laughs> I love it so but much. Passion projects, you know, yes. and that, it's important. So yeah, just yeah, get back you, on that horse and, and going sure. after it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you like watching people's life stories and check it out and give it a gander I love it well I have one last question for you and in your opinion how can one be radically empowered in their life okay so in my in my viewpoint of what what it means to be radically empowered I think it means to step outside of um the the notion that the, the bad things in your life have happened to you. And I think instead of feeling like a victim of circumstance or of situations or whatever it is, to say, what is what have these things done for me? And for me, that's probably one of the biggest, um, the biggest ways of feeling empowered versus feeling like a victim. And I think that that's huge. When you change your viewpoint of something as being something that happened to you versus something that happened for you, it gives you your own power back. And I think that that's fucking important. Mm-hmm. So I think I think reframing things so that instead of being a victim, you're you're a victor in your own life, and 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 instead of seeing things as you know just like overwhelming sadness and grief and challenges and just finding the lessons in them and, and allowing those to, you know, gain, give you the wisdom that you, that you need, you know, that those lessons are offering you. And yeah. So I think that that's what being radically empowered is. I love that so much. And truly that is one of my ethos or one of my core values in my life. And also for this podcast is to really assist uh, humans on, on liberating themselves from 
being disempowered to being empowered and to change the narrative of their story because anybody with just a given shift in mindset can radically change their lives. And so that is what we're all about. And I am so grateful for you, Sarah, for coming on today. Um, and if you just want to share quickly where people can find you on social media, you said YouTube. So just any other platforms where people can contact you if they want to work with you or just where they can view your work. Um, so you can find me at sarahangelini.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. My, my media page is Sarah Angelina Media. Um, if you want to follow me personally, I'm Sangelini. And yeah, my YouTube channel is Videnda. Awesome. So and then you're on, you're on Vimeo too, right? I am um, Sarah Angelini Media on okay. Vimeo. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so grateful for you and our, our just amazing friendship that we have. And I just, I love the conversation and, and the discussions that we had today. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, and we'll see you guys on the other side.